0: If you'd like to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 26, I'm actually going to read from a couple different sections uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. This will be a little bit different, obviously, than how it is on Sunday mornings. Um, And so we do have a longer section and a shorter message uh, this evening. And uh, I think it's important on a day like Good Friday to, to really cover a lot of the story itself. From God's Word. Uh, so Matthew twenty seven, being in verse thirty six. I'm sorry, Matthew twenty six, thirty six. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And talking with Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, So could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation? The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, The one I will kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, Greetings, Rabbi. And he kissed him. Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then they came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than twelve legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of, of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance, as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And, going inside, he sat with the guards to see the end. Now, the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus, that they might put him to death. But they found none. Though many false witnesses came forward, at least two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. Jesus said to him, You have said so. But I tell you, from now on you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, He has uttered blasphemy. What further witness do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? They answered, He deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? When morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate the governor. Moving to Matthew 27, verse 11. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to release for the crowd any one prisoner whom they wanted. And they then had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So, when they had gathered, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For he knew that it was out of envy that they had delivered him up. Besides, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much because of him today in a dream. Now, the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor again said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release for you? And they said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with he who is called Christ? They all said, Let him be crucified. And he said, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Let him be crucified. into the governor's headquarters. And then it gathered the whole battalion before him, and they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him. And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and put a reed in his right hand. And kneeling before him, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and took the reed and struck him on his head. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the robe and put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. As they went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. They compelled this man to carry the cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull, they offered him wine to drink mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he would not drink it. And when they had crucified him, They divided his garments among them by casting lots. Then they sat down and kept watch over him there. And over his head they put the charge against him which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then the two robbers who were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, You who would testify the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. Now, from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, "Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani?" That is, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And some of the bystanders, hearing it, said, "This man is called Elijah." And one of them at once ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there, sitting opposite the tomb. The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said while he was still alive, After three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell his people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers, go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Son, and we rejoice, Lord, that we have a Savior who went to the cross so that we could be forgiven. Lord, on Good Friday, we remember his unjust and terrible death, but Lord, that is in preparation for Easter as we celebrate his resurrection from the dead. And in that, Lord, we have the promise of eternal life. And Lord, for that, we rejoice. Lord, I'm so thankful for everyone here this evening. And for all of us, I pray that as we are again reminded of the story of what Christ did for us, our faith can be stirred. Our affection and love for you can be renewed. Lord, and that we can remember the truth of your gospel and the great Savior we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus endured the betrayal of one close to him. He was let down by his best friends. He faced Injustice of both the local ruling leaders, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish community who had conspired against Jesus and sought his death on trumped-up charges, and then the injustice of the Roman government who allowed him to be executed despite having broken no laws. In spite of all of that, God had planned throughout all of eternity to actually use that evil and wickedness for our salvation. Because even though it was sin and evil that brought Jesus to the cross, it's because Jesus went to the cross that we can be forgiven. The suffering that Jesus endured, recorded in each of the four Gospels, is referred to as his Passion. We see the sinfulness of humanity in Christ's passion. We can't downplay the sinfulness of humanity when Jesus came into the world and we killed him. The righteous and holy God who made the world came into the world and the world (coughs) crucified him. In going to the cross, Jesus doesn't simply die for us. He's tortured for us. It's not like our day and age when methods of execution are designed to be relatively painless. Crucifixion was designed to humiliate and maximize the torture and pain. First, he was stripped down and flogged, which would have been a savage beating unto itself, tied to a post with his back exposed. The Romans had a weapon called a phlegrum which is basically several small straps attached to a handle and woven into the straps of this flagrum, They would have pieces of rock and animal bone and lead. When somebody was whipped with the flagrum, all of those pieces in the straps of it would rip away at a person's flesh. Bones would have likely been broken. His body battered torn up with the the whips of the Roman guards, covered in blood. After having endured such brutality, Jesus would have been forced to carry the top beam of his own cross to the place of his execution, which weighed probably upwards of 125 pounds. The Gospels tell us that Jesus was so weakened from the flogging that they had to have someone else help Jesus carry his cross to the place of his crucifixion. Nails driven through his hands and ankles as his body was attached to the cross. Again, unimaginable pain. The cross with him attached to it hoisted up into the air, struggling to breathe. His body sagging down on the weight of his legs, then pushing up to get a little bit of oxygen For Romans who were crucified, they would endure this horrible cycle. Their weight on their legs, unable to breathe, then pushing up a little bit to get some air before falling back down again. Some people could do this for days before they finally died, either of exhaustion or asphyxia or exposure. On Good Friday, we had God on earth. Dying in the most agonizing way, the most humiliating way, in a public way. But it was for the sins of the world. It was so that we could be forgiven. Because when he was nailed to the cross, so was our sin. That's what Jesus endured on Good Friday. Some of us might be uneasy or uncomfortable thinking about that. It's certainly not a pleasurable sight or visual to imagine. But it's also important to understand what Jesus went through. Because that was the cost of forgiveness. I've heard Tim Keller make this point, and I think it's an important one. That a person might look at the crucifixion. Look at what the Lord did on the cross and wonder... Why was that the only way? Why was that necessary? Couldn't God simply have forgiven us? No. Because in any meaningful way that a person has ever wronged you and you've forgiven them, when you forgive, you bear the burden. Someone always has to cover the cost of sin. Keller uses this illustration. Imagine that I broke something of yours that's very expensive and let's say insurance doesn't cover it. You could make me pay for it. Or you could pay for it. Or you could decide you just don't need it in your life again and not have it replaced. In which case you're bearing the cost of losing that item. Or we could come to some agreement where we both paid part of the price for it. But the point is that either way, somebody is ultimately paying for the damage. The cost doesn't just vanish into thin air. When we forgive, we bear a burden. And the bigger the wrong that someone does, the more costly it is to forgive. Forgiving is not as simple as just ignoring what a person has done. And so with our sin against God, the holy and righteous God of the universe, how does our God approach forgiving sinful people? all of the wrongs and injustices of the world, all of the wrongs and sins in our own lives, our own hearts, our own actions. We could never pay that price. We could never do enough to earn God's righteous forgiveness. There was no hope. But on the cross, we see that Jesus himself bore the cost for us. And that was the cost of forgiveness. That horrible death Jesus died, the injustice that he faced, all of that shows us the cost of our sin. At the cross, we see the love of God. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Paul says in Romans, since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. Because Jesus bore infinite wrath for sin, there is infinite grace when we turn to Christ. There is no sin that he is unable to forgive. It's not that he died so that he can forgive every sin, but he can't forgive a certain one that we've done. It's not that he died to forgive every sin, but he can't forgive what we're struggling with today. Infinite wrath because of our sin, but infinite mercy on the cross because of his grace. If you're not a Christian, then you need to know that on the first Good Friday, Jesus paid for sins on the cross. Jesus showed that he is the way to God. Jesus died so that we could have a relationship with him. And Jesus promises eternal life to everyone who comes to him. And all you have to do is believe in him. The Bible says that faith is credited as righteousness. Romans 10, 13 says everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. In Acts four twelve it teaches there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And the proof of that is on the cross. There are many other places where people like to look for salvation. Where people look to find a life but none of those things will give you life. On the cross, Jesus died so that you could have life. You can't earn God. The cross shows us that. If we could earn God, Jesus wouldn't have needed to die for us. 2 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, There is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The validation for these things, what testifies to the salvation and hope that is found in Jesus, is on the cross. Because he died on Good Friday, but he rose on Sunday. God has authority over life and death. God has authority over how we are made right with him. And while we didn't deserve it, the good news of the gospel is that God made a way because he is good and for his own glory. And instead of fighting that, thinking that there should have been another way, what we need to do is turn to Christ and see what he went through to pay the price for the sins of the world. And to know that you're a sinful person, but to believe that Jesus died for you. That there's nothing that you need to do to earn Christ. There's nothing you need to get in order first. There's nothing you need to clean up in your own life First, There's nothing you have to do first. All you have to do is know that Jesus is the Son of God who came into the world and that he died for your sins. It's a forgiveness that you don't deserve, but it's the forgiveness that Jesus offers. It's for you in the times when you're doubting, in the times when you feel like a failure, in the times when you're in despair... And the times when you feel like you can't get your life under control. And the times when you feel like you're not as good of a Christian as you could be or should be. And all those times there is grace. Because what you do is not the basis for Christ's love for you. It's about what he did on the cross that is the basis of our relationship with him. Live for God, love His people, but let us not fall back on Good Friday into feeling like it's up to us to earn God's forgiveness. Because you can't earn what's freely given, and you can't earn what's unearnable. The gospel is not about living a certain way and then God will love you. On Good Friday, if you've been walking with Jesus for most of your life or for a short time, as you look at the cross and the price that Jesus paid for sin, let me remind you that he totally forgives you. There's nothing left to earn. As Christ said on the cross, it is finished. That is the gift that he gives to humanity and to all who believe in him, to the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, again, we are sinful people. Lord, as we remember that, let us also be reminded of the even greater grace that Christ displays on the cross. Lord, let us us believe in him and know him as our Savior.